Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee faithfully served the Lord for more than seven decades, co-laboring with Watchman Nee in China in the first half of the 20th century, before continuing his ministry in Taiwan, later in America, and eventually over the entire earth. He spoke these Life Study messages before thousands of people, and much of his speaking has been published as over 400 titles. These life studies are perhaps his most significant work, taking 21 years for him to complete, and we're happy today to be able to bring you selected portions from those messages. If you'd like to find out more about his ministry, about the life studies themselves, and Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org, or call us, toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now let's join today's program. The law of God, or the Ten Commandments as they're commonly known, can have a very unpleasant connotation. Usually they represent a demand on us that we know we cannot meet. So like most things that we can't handle, our tendency is to avoid them, or try to explain them away, or otherwise distance ourselves. But rather than being something to create distance between God and man, God's view of the commandments is that they would draw and bind man to himself, even as the marriage vows bind a loving couple for life. Don't miss this very special Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee. Joining us today as we continue to bring this memorable and I would say unparalleled unfolding of the book of Exodus is Ron Kangas. Thank you for joining us, Ron. I'm especially happy to help in the fellowship with this message on the what we may call the bright side or the day side of the law, which in no way compromises the truth of the dark side or the night side. But there is a marvelous revelation ahead of us here that's thoroughly and absolutely grounded in the Scriptures. And when we compare Scripture with Scripture and consider the giving of the law in light of the total divine revelation, especially concerning the divine romance, we have a wonderful and delightful surprise. This is a special program because I think you've said it very well. There's a surprise in store for our listeners today. This will be a view of the law and the commandments unlike any they've ever seen before. Witness Lee several times touched this matter of the divine romance. I remember back to the life study of Romans, I think a first or second message. Now we see this matter brought up again in the book of Exodus. For the sake of those listening that were not with us uh, during that Romans life study, what is the divine romance? The Bible ends with a marriage. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, The Spirit and the Bride say come. The Bible ends with a revelation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. The Bible ends with a word concerning the new Jerusalem. The angel says to John, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This consummating word in the book of Revelation embodies the revelation that a primary theme, if not the primary theme of the entire Bible, is the romance between God, 
as the beloved, as the husband, and his chosen and redeemed people, as the object of his love, and as his wife. We see this in type, even in Genesis 2, with Adam and Eve. And Ephesians 5 clearly indicates that's a type of Christ and the church. We see this portrayed in Song of Songs. The Lord himself spoke of himself as the bridegroom. Paul spoke of his ministry as a betrothing ministry. So this thought has its source in the heart of God. It has its revelation in the Word of God. And it has its unfolding and application through the ministry of God. We should be willing to drop our religious notions and accept the truth of God revealed by God that he is our beloved, that he is our husband, and that the goal of his salvation and the goal of his economy is a wonderful, eternal, married life of the triune God and the tripartite man, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, and glorified. This is what the Bible's all about. To someone who is not that familiar, that will be a surprise. But to those who have already accepted the fact that this thing exists, this marvelous thing, the divine romance, there's still a surprise in store, I think, for them to see the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments as it relates to the divine romance. That's the surprise ahead today. Let's join Witness Lee. God, in giving his law to his people, seeks lovers. Have you ever thought about this? When God gave his law to his chosen people, God's intention was to seek lovers out of these people. We have read some of the verses from Jeremiah, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel, and from Hosea. All these four prophets had a concept that considers God as the husband and God's chosen people as God's wife. This is the revelation in the Bible. Even in the New Testament, the thought is still here. Paul said, I have betrothed you to a husband that is Christ. The New Testament has also such a strong concept that Christ is the husband and the church composed with all the believers is his wife. But many of us never heard that Israel was espoused to God and God betrothed her to God himself. I would ask you when and where and how God betrothed Israel unto himself. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2 says, God said to Israel, I remember you and I remember that kind of courting love of your youth. Then you have the second expression there, the love of your engagement. Israel, I did have an engagement with you. And you did have engagement with me. There was a kind of engagement. 
in that engagement, you did have a love toward me. I will never forget. And I also remember you falling after me in the wilderness. You know, if you read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 16, you could find out it refers to what happened in Exodus. The Lord said, Israel, once I passed by you, and I saw you. And that was the time of love, courting love. Then I entered into covenant with you. Probably no Christian has ever thought that the law was an engagement paper. This law is the very covenant mentioned in Ezekiel 16.8. So you all have to realize the law was an engagement paper. When God gave the law, God betrothed Israel into himself, and Israel engaged them into God. There was engagement. Ron, we said before, this is an unprecedented view that the commandments given by God were really in the context of an espousal, an engagement. What are some of the other passages of Scripture that reveal that God views his relationship with his people as an engagement? We heard a, quite a striking word based upon uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 and Ezekiel chapter 16. You have a clear word concerning this in Isaiah 54 where the Lord says your Redeemer is your husband. And other portions in Isaiah use bridal imagery and marriage imagery to describe our relationship with the Lord. Song of Songs is a story emphasizing the personal aspect of the believer seeking the Lord in the way of intimate, personal, affectionate love. In the New Testament, Matthew 9, the Lord refers to himself as the bridegroom. Matthew 22, the kingdom of the heavens is like a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. John 3, John the Baptist said, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? It's our Lord Jesus. Who is the bride, according to John 3? It's all the redeemed people. Then in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the believers in the church in Corinth, I'm jealous over you with a jealousy of God because I betrothed you to one husband that you would be a chaste virgin to Christ. This indicates that Paul regarded his ministry as a ministry of engagement. Then in Revelation 19, Rejoice, the marriage of the Lamb has come. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast. And then the Bible ends with this. So God, according to the Bible, is romantic. He has come to woo us, to court us, to engage us to himself. And then when the Lord comes back, the overcomers will marry him and be his bride in the coming age. And in eternity, all the believers, having been perfected, will be parts of the wife of the Lamb forever and ever. This is the true love story, the divine romance in this universe. Marvelous. Well, we promised the listeners at the beginning of the program that we would show them the Ten Commandments today in this same light. Specifically, we're going to see them in this coming section. Let's join again, Witness Lee. The condition of God's engagement with Israel was 
the Ten Commandments. I would ask you to read Exodus chapter 20, first the 12 verses concerning the first five commandments. From verse 2, I am Jehovah your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt. This doesn't sound as a kind of legal word. It does sound a kind of loving word. I am the one that was, that is, and that will be forever. Your God, who has brought you out of that bondage. Then, verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods beside me. I must be your unique beloved. You shouldn't have any other beloved beside me. This is the first engagement term. Then, verse 4, you shall not make unto you any grieving image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the earth. In your engagement, if you are smart, you will say, take away all the other images, all the other photos. This is not a commandment. This is an engagement term. Then verse 5, you should not bow down yourself to them now serve them, for I, Jehovah, your God, am jealous God. As long as you have me, I don't like to see anyone else. Again, I said, this is an engaging term. And the third, you shall not take the name of Jehovah, your God, in vain. If you consider me as your beloved, you shouldn't mention my name like Then, the fourth commandment, Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Jehovah your God. This means in the engagement, right away a sign, a symbol was given. The Sabbath day was a ring to mark out. After your engagement, you should wear a ring. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are told that when we got saved, we received a seal. That seal is just the engagement ring. And this is a kind of separation. This is kind of sanctification. The Sabbath day was considered by God as a mark of his people's separation into God. That we belong to our beloved. We belong to our husband. Then the fifth, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which Jehovah your God gives you. This refers to the source. We always have to remember the mark that sanctifies us unto God. And we always have to honor the source. The source is God. So, in your engagement, you must pick up this as a term. From now on, you must honor our source, God. Well, Ron, continuing on in this revolutionary view of the Ten Commandments, we're seeing that these commandments actually are the terms of the engagement between God and man. 
when viewed in this light, they take on a completely different essence, don't they? We are considering now one particular aspect of the giving of the law. There's day and there's night. The night aspect, the dark or threatening or awesome aspect, we are more or less familiar with, and we will get to that in due time. The people at the bottom of the mountain, they were trembling with fear. But Moses was in the glory being infused with God. And the prophets spoke of the time of the giving of the law as an engagement event. Israel, in her youth, was betrothed to God when the covenant was enacted and the law was given. The Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words. When God speaks words, God speaks forth his own being, his own element and essence. Eventually, according to 2 Timothy 3, the word of God, being inspired of God, is God's breath. So this aspect of the giving of the law is very different. It's an engagement. It's full of intimacy, of love. It's full of an infusion of God's glorious and loving essence into the recipient's. It's a tender time, it's a precious time, it's an affectionate time. What goes on at this time is a glorious infusion of God's essence into God's people. Is engagement a time where you're issuing decrees and you're making demands and it's threatening and it's frightening and it's dark and terrifying? What is that? Who'd want to commit to another in that kind of environment, the time when the proposal is given and the proposal is accepted is a most precious time in human life. We have to say that this kind of human preciousness at best is an image, a reflection of the real engagement and of the delight and intimacy and love that accompanies our engagement to the triune God in Christ. The giving of the law in this aspect is a precious, delightful time of having God's essence infused into us so that we may love him, be one with him, and express him. And that makes his heart very happy indeed. Well, Ron, we're going to see in this final portion today how these commandments become a real aspect of the bonding and uniting that takes place between God and his people. Let's go back to Witness Lee. The law was given in a counting way. It is the same as the Lord Jesus did. Verse 23 in John 14 says, If any man loves and keeps my word, my Father and I will go to him and make an abode with you. You must read John 14, 21 and 23, and compare those two verses with Exodus 20. You could see nearly the same. In the Old Testament, God did the same thing. Then in the New Testament, Lord Jesus repeated the same thing. Courting. God was courting and still is courting love. He gives the commandment in a courting way, not in a legal way. 
naming himself Jehovah your God intimately in each of the first five commandments, revealing himself as a jealous God, requesting his people not to have other God, other beloved beside him for seeking their love that they may keep his commandments to express him. If you don't love God, you could never keep his commandments and you could never express him. What is engagement? Engagement is to bring two persons into one. And eventually, the wife and the husband become one flesh. Eventually, God and his children people all are one through this engagement. The Ten Commandments were a kind of engagement paper. And this engagement was to bring God's people and God into one. Not only so, even in a proper marriage life, after 50 years, you will see mostly the two parties became about the same. In habit, in legs, in dislikes, in character, in slowness, in quickness, all about the same. Eventually, all God's children people will be the same as God. Ron, we've already seen in a previous broadcast that the law was given first to show the character and attributes of God himself, a testimony of what kind of God he is. Marriage, certainly to a Christian at least, is the joining together of two persons to become one person. This is very much the highest understanding, and this is really the understanding that the Bible gives us of what marriage is all about. If you put these two things together, are we then presumptuous to assume that our ultimate union with God as his bride will result in God and man becoming one person? No, we're not presumptuous. We're faithful to the divine revelation. But we need to be accurate and we need to be careful as we present this, humanly speaking, and from God's point of view, as his word indicates. We're not complete alone. When a man and a woman are joined in marriage, the two become one. God has joined them. The two are one flesh in a very real and practical sense. They're one. But this doesn't mean the respective parties have lost their personal identity and existence. The husband's the husband, the wife is the wife, yet they're one. That's mysterious. And Paul said it was mysterious. He called it a great mystery. This is Christ and the church. So yes, the new Jerusalem, which is the consummate union of the triune God with the redeemed tripartite man is a corporate person composed of the joining, the union, and the mingling of God and man to make them one entity, one unit. But this does not mean that God ceases to be God or that his Godhead is compromised. Neither does it mean that redeemed humanity becomes God with the Godhead. No, God is still God, and he's the husband, and he is worshipped 
literally by his wife. And the wife, although the same as her husband, in life, in nature, and expression, does not possess the Godhead and never becomes an object of worship. Having made that distinction, we can safely say, because the Bible reveals it, that we are going to marry the triune God in Christ and be one person with him. This is a mystery. This is glorious. This is wonderful. This is true. This is God's divine revelation. This is what is in the heart of God, and this is what the Word of God reveals. Only this kind of married life will satisfy the heart's desire of our redeeming God. I very much appreciated Witness Lee's example in this last section of a couple that had been married and been happily and properly married for, say, oh, 50 years. And at the beginning of their marriage, though individually, they may have been quite different in their tastes and their habits and their way of approaching things. When you see that kind of a couple, and we've all seen them, there's something so sweet and satisfying because you really see one expression. Yes, there are two separate people there in one sense, but in another sense, they really have become just one kind of expression, haven't they? It's rare these days to see this kind of marriage life, but it still exists, and it's very precious. But what's especially precious, we're made in the image of God. This kind of marriage is an image of that kind of marriage, the marriage of God and his redeemed people. Because the Bible says, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Let us go forth to meet him. And the Bible also says, Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. I enjoyed our fellowship very much. Thank you, Ron. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you have any questions or would like to find other Christians in your area who also enjoy this ministry, feel free to call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.